0: So, what I'm going to share with you right now is um, what I talk about is the power of a common dream and the importance of dreams. And God gives us dreams, doesn't he? Not long. He gives you dreams. It, actually, God's in the dream business. And um, there's, a, there's so many passage of scripture that you can actually look at that, that just drive you in that direction but um, there's one that just, that just came to my mind a few minutes ago it's in Jeremiah, it says in Jeremiah 29 11 it's what God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord Pla- plans of your heart are your dreams, ok and uh, do you know God has dreams yeah, he has we're being like him when we dream. He's a dreamer. Dream dream, dream is part... You know, how do you imagine things going? What, what What's those hopes? He said, and this is, so, you know, I, I have plans for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Wow. Hope and a future. Dreams inspire hope and bring impossibilities into not just possibilities but probabilities and then realities and uh, in on the day of pentecost when um, peter explained what was happening when the holy spirit was poured out he actually he, he used a passage of scripture and said actually this is what's happening here you know he's he's, he's pouring out visions and dreams because he wants to open up a whole new world of, of reality for each one of us, and um, I was um, I've been thinking about this, and I've just come across some sort of other material. And I've got, I've been, you know, getting, I'm getting very excited preparing this stuff, and I've got more material that I can ever fit into one sermon. So, it's, which is good and also a challenge, um, even if I try and do the same sermon twice in a day, um, it always comes out differently, but that's okay, and. But I remember um, an occasion uh, in my childhood, um, which was a a strange thing. Um, And I was 10 years old at the time, and my my parents woke me up uh, at at two o'clock in the morning, about that time. And it was on the the day was was the 21st of July, 1969. And uh, they woke me up, and, and I went downstairs, and the television was on, and. Um, which was a strange thing in those days, because actually, uh, we forget this, but actually television used to stop about midnight. And there was only a couple of channels, I think, in '96, maybe three in '96. But actually, about midnight, you get the test card. And if you were really bored, you could watch the test card, but it wasn't much fun. Um, <laughs> and it was just this blank spot. It was a screen with nothing else on it. And, and so the television was on. And, and, and what my parents brought me down to, to see... Because I said, basically, you can't miss this. This is something that is, is important enough for you to see. Was Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. The first man to walk on the moon. And he said, what's it, one, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Wasn't it? And... That happened in 1969, and, and it was President John F. Kennedy who had actually stated at the beginning of that decade, at the beginning of the 1960s, he said that uh, this was, to the nation of America, he said, by the end of this decade, we would have put a man on the moon. And he gave a nation a dream, and we all, all, everybody around the world got caught up. In, in, in this extraordinary dream of, of pu- putting a man on the moon. And um, I know one of the other stories that go around that is actually this, um, one time when I think it was another president was actually touring the NASA facility um, um, before they got uh, Neil Armstrong on the moon. And I went round asking various people what they were doing in the different places. And, you know, we went into one lab and, and this guy described the component he was making, you know, and this is what I'm doing. And then he, he talked to the guy, you know, so I'm making this component and then it fits into this, this and this. And then talked to, to a man who was a cleaner and he says, so what do you do round here? he says, oh, I'm, I'm putting a man on the moon. He knew he was involved in a, a big dream. He wasn't just cleaning the floors or the toilets. He was, he was, he wasn't just making a component. And it's ever so easy to get locked into to the, this is my little bit that I'm doing, but actually there's a big dream and a common dream gives huge purpose to life. And, um, I came across this quote, um, on Facebook recently and it's, it's by Richard Branson and, um, of, uh, Virgin. And he's a guy started with a, a dream, and he started with uh, a record store, didn't he? He might have started with something else, but I know that's as that's that's far back as I go. And, um, and I'm not quite sure how many times he failed in his endeavors, but actually he kept on dreaming. And this is what he says. <clears throat> Don't betray your dreams for the sake of fitting in. Dreaming is one of humanity's greatest gifts. It champions aspiration spurs innovation, leads to change and propels the world forward. We should all dream and encourage others to do so. In a world without dreams, there would be no art, no adventure, no moon landing, no female CEOs and no civil rights. What a half-lived and tragic existence we would have. Speaking on the importance of dreaming, American entrepreneur Dan Pallotta said, I believe that dreams taken seriously are the most sophisticated things known to humanity. A great dream drives innovation. It doesn't happen the other way round. A great dream drives collaboration. It doesn't happen the other way round. Richard Branson goes on to say this. Don't be self-conscious about dreaming or, what, or about people thinking you're too idealistic and not serious enough. You know, that can be, can be one of those, oh, he's, just, he's just a dreamer, she's just a dreamer. No, be a dreamer. <coughs> don't allow your self-talk to be judgmental. Now, what we're saying is don't talk yourself out of your dreams. And I remember one time when, when God showed me something very specific with regard to this church. He gave me a dream, and it was, it was a bit big, and, 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 you know, in my mind, I, I'm, I'm a dreamer, but it was, even in my mind, it seemed unrealistic. And um, so I was ah, no, I'm not sure that's, ah, okay. And within two minutes, I was in the conference, and, and somebody got up the front and, and actually said, um, God has just shown me this, that he, he, he's, he's given people dreams and they're dismissing them. And I felt re- in, rightly rebuked, because I, I had dismissed the dream that God had given to me. Yeah. So if God gives you a dream, is he able to work it out, fulfill it? Yeah. See, God isn't limited in any way, is he? So we're not limited. Some dreams take a long time. Abraham's took a while. Some of the dreams I'm going to show you about myself tonight have taken a long time in coming into reality. But one of the things that I love about Abraham, it talks about Abraham, it says actually that he never wavered through unbelief regarding the promises of God. He had to face the ups and downs of life. It says, you know, he faced the facts and against all hope he hoped. He he refused to, 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 uh, lose the promises and the dreams that he'd been given on the basis of, of adverse circumstances. Look at the world with wide-eyed enthusiasm, believe you are more powerful than the problems that confront you, and dream big. How about that? Are you more powerful than the problems that confront you? Yeah. At Virgin, we know better than most the value of dreaming. Had we not dreamed, we would have never got to where we are today. The odds have been stacked against us along the way, but we have put faith in our hopes and desires, and by not limiting ourselves to what we know or what we have been told to be true, we have been able to turn one dream into another. The benefits of dreaming far outweigh the perceived risks, because the value of dreaming isn't just measured by the outcome, but the inspiration that comes from the journey of achieving the dream. I like that, isn't it? There's an inspiration in the journey. And again, it talks about this in Romans chapter 4. It says of Abraham that he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God en route. This guy Dan, the uh, entrepreneur, says this. When we show people that something is possible that they didn't think was possible, it does more than just change things. It changes the way people think about the possibility of things changing. It helps them see that life is not the same day after day, unsurprising, unending drudgery, that so much of life teaches them that it is, and that life is a huge contribution. I'm sorry, that that the dreams are a huge contribution to their humanity. Dream big and you will be presented with the opportunity to lead the world on an incredible adventure. I love that. Dream big and you will be presented with the opportunity to lead the world on an incredible adventure. As Helen Keller so profoundly stated, life is, life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing at all. And there was a lady who had to overcome difficulties, Helen Keller. If you don't know who she is, then look her up on Google or Wikipedia or something like that. So, so <clears throat> I love that. And um, going back to the... Um, putting a man on the moon um, I just came across uh, the name of this guy recently, there was, there's a guy called Colonel Joe Kittinger I think, I think it's Kittinger um, and um, in 1960 he uh, was in a, a gas filled balloon that rose to I think it was 102 or 103 thousand feet above the earth's surface and then he threw himself out of this thing to plummet to the earth <coughs> uh, at speed, I think he said it got, uh, I'm not sure if he exceeded the sound, uh, speed of sound, he went through the sound barrier, but <laughs> close to it. And he, he threw himself out of this thing uh, in order to test um, a suit that would become a space suit. And in order to test parachutes and things like that that are, are still being used to this day when people are coming back from such great heights, I don't know, they might use them on, I don't know from Spaceships or something like that. And um, so he held the the, the world record for the highest sort of free fall. And um, that was Colonel Joe Kittinger. And basically what he said was, actually, I was playing my part in putting a man on the moon. Plunging out of something from 102. I don't know how many of you are adrenaline junkies, but that would be quite a ride, wouldn't it? That would be... Um, 102,000 feet, and uh, you could, if you want to find out about him, you can get the stuff on um, uh, on the internet, YouTube. I just I, I brought up a little interview and thought, there's an, there's an amazing guy. He brought me into a dream. We'll come back to him in a little while. And I believe that the power of a common dream releases individual dreams as well. And here at, uh, in this church, we have common dreams, and. I was trying to think how you encapsulate what our common dream is. And um, as I've been thinking about this a, a lot, and, and I just felt very clearly that God was showing us, and I think it's evident that, that this church is actually coming to the end of one era and is now entering into the next era that, that is in front of us. And <clears throat> I felt a few months back God, God um, talked to me and actually telling me about things that were finished. Um, Obviously, this building is is an example of of a dream, a common dream that drove us for many years. And God told us very clearly, he gave us a promise, a dream, that he would place us at the East Gate to the city. That's why this building is called East Gate. He gave us that that promise, that dream, ten years ago, before we even knew this this possibility existed. Um, And when you're given a a prophecy um, that God will place you at the East Gate to the city and you live in New Ash Green, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Because New Ash Green's in the middle of nowhere, as most people know. It. And, and, and it's not the East Gate to anywhere, it's just. It's, um, and in fact, that some people can't even find it. Um, <clears throat> but but this, this building is a testimony of, of the power of a common dream, because actually, this church believed in this dream. But not just so we've got this, but so that actually we've got a bigger dream, which is actually changing the world. Uh, and the common dream that I believe we have here is for the fullness of the kingdom of heaven to be manifest in this place so that anybody who comes here will be touched by God without doubt in whatever dimension it is. I just want people to come in here and get healed just because they walk in through the door. Yeah? And and people it's interesting, many people will say when they walk in the building they feel God as soon as they walk through the door. In fact, I think the students are playing the game of how far away... from the building, you can feel the presence of God. Now, this is the new game. It is actually, can you feel him yet? How, 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 how far away can you be and still feel feel the presence of God? But he's here, and and then we, we, want, we want the resources of heaven to be directed towards our society. Now, oh well. So actually, you know, next Sunday we're going to be looking at the dream of education. You know, I've got the dream of our healing center um, becoming an option for, for the, the health service. And we're really close to that dream. So <clears throat> we, have a, we have a big dream here, a big common dream. And, and within that, individual dreams can flourish and take their part in this huge big dream that we have. I'm looking at Brian Smith down there. Dream for the City of London, haven't you? And we are placed at the East Gate to the city, so we're blessing you, and the glory miles coming and stuff like that. So well done. It's all encapsulated in in this dream that we have, you know. And uh, I just love it when I hear of individual dreams. I can look at some people down here. I know they've got individual <coughs> dreams. I know of them, and I love them. And I want to provide an environment where they can grow. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to going to share some of my life story with you. God show me this is the the thing to do. <coughs> Um, to illustrate this. So bear with me as I do this and I might get emotional en route. Um, so bear with that. Uh, and then uh, as I la- come towards landing, I'll, I'll be telling you about some of the things that are just opening up for us in the future. And um, So I want to tell you a bit about my uh, my parents. Um, and uh, my dad was born in 1928 and my mum was born in 1931. And um, my mum was was born into a relatively poor family Um, they were an Irish Catholic family she was the only child and um, uh, they had next next to no money Um, it was was a poor poor environment Um, and my dad, not not such a poor environment but actually my dad um, had a younger sister uh, and unfortunately for them at the age of when my dad was five his parents divorced which was really unusual in the 1930s um, he was then brought up um, by various people in different uh, parts of the country, with um, grandparents uh, and aunts and stuff like that. So actually he had a very sort of dis- disjointed childhood, which obviously affected things like his education um, and stuff like that. And then um, come 1939, when the Second World War, st- war started, my, my, my dad was 11, uh, no, he was 10, coming up 11, and my mum was uh, 8. And, and their, their lives were obviously hugely affected by the six years of the, the Second World War. Um, and my mum, basically between the age of eight and 14, so that's quite an important part of education, she said that the only education she got that during those eight years was, was knitting and singing. Um, that, was, that was the only education that, that she got for, for six years. Um, <coughs> uh, both my parents were evacuated. Um, and... Um, my mum was, was evacuated out of London, uh, as was my dad, but my mum was evacuated to, to Kent um, and in 1939, and she was evacuated to a place where the, the, the Battle of Britain was raging over her head. Um, um, so it was before, before the Blitz in London. So, so my mum was evacuated somewhere that was actually more dangerous than being in London. Um, and um, and she, she was in this little village um, and went to a village school um, which was somewhat... This is one reason she got not much education, because they had a village school that was suddenly overloaded with all these these evacuated children, and they would sit there. And then <coughs> when the air raid sirens came, went off, they had to, to run outside and, and jump in the trenches that had been dug for them uh, to keep them safe from the machine guns, because the Germans would come down straff uh, with their machine guns, the, 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 the countryside. Um, so she knew what it was to literally fear for her life and... and um, So actually, one time when she she jumped in the trench, and then somebody jumped on top of her, and and that broke her arm. So that was that was one of her war injuries. My mum. (laughs) Um, And then um, she got homesick, and she she went back to to live in London with her parents in time for the Blitz. Um, So she did the Battle of Britain and the Blitz. Um, And uh, there was one time she um, she went to the cinema. And she told her parents that she was going to the cinema, which film, you know, where she was going and what film she was going to see. And, um, that cinema received a direct hit from a bomb. And her parents actually went and, uh, stood outside this, this destroyed cinema while the bodies were being brought out and while people were digging through the rubble. And then my mum came walking down the street because the cinema that been bombed, had actually been full when she got there and she'd been unable to get in, so they'd gone to see a film in another cinema. And God preserved her life. And if he hadn't, I wouldn't be here right now. Um, another time, uh, they were sitting at home, having their evening <laughs> meal, and uh, an explosion went off, and they were literally blown right across uh, their... Uh, Small living room in different directions, and once the dust and everything had settled, uh, they went outside and looked at their street. And they would, they lived in small houses, terraced houses, so not far. And four houses up, there was no longer a street. <laughs> it's, it's it's a bit difficult for us to comprehend, isn't it? And my dad had some similar experiences, and so that they had quite a quite a quite a, an affected childhood and um, they were both brought up in re- religious context as well my mum obviously was a Roman Catholic and my dad in, in an Anglican church but actually not with no, no life in it um, and so once they got past the, the end of the war and, and um, my dad was obviously he was coming up for um, 17 when, when the war finished and actually he then uh, took himself out of education completely because they had no, no money. He had to go and get a job. So th- when they got, got together and, you know, got engaged and decided to get married, they, 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 they made a, a choice and they, they had a dream. <coughs> which was to create something completely different for their children. Because they'd had this, this completely disrupted life. And, and you know, both of them together. And, and in many ways, dysfunctional. But they said, actually, we're going to create something different for our family. And they decided that whatever was thrown their way, they would create a stable, loving, encouraging, supportive environment for their children. And that was the environment that I grew up in. And uh, the more I understand about it, the more grateful I am to my parents, because actually they didn't just go along with what had always been their lot in life. They chose something different, and they, they chose to create a dream environment for my sister and I to have the things that they never did and number number one probably in that was was, was their desire to give my sister and I the opportunities for good education because that hadn 't happened for for them, <coughs> and um, so they, they uh, always encouraged us with regard to schooling without pressurizing us and um enabled us to sort of access school um and I remember uh my sister four years older than me so this happened for my sister it also happened for me is that that we both got to take the 11 plus which is the, the exam that you take in order to get into the sort of grammar schools you know the, and and um and at that stage, there was, there was quite a big distinction between grammar schools and other schools because um, in, in, uh, uh, we had grammar schools and technical schools and secondary modern schools, and uh, didn't really have comprehensive schools around in those days, so, so there was a big difference. And, and so... At, Passing the eleven plus gave you access to to a different sort of education um, than if you didn't pass it basically wasn 't necessarily a fair system, but it, that's the system that, that, that was so so taking the eleven plus and, 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 and passing it was a big deal and I, I had an aspiration to go to uh, a school um, near where I lived, which had fantastic sports facilities and because uh, I love sport and uh, and this was you know, and was a very good. Sp- Grammar school uh, with, with excellent results. Um, so this depended upon me pa- passing the 11-plus exam, and I remember taking the 11-plus exam. And in, I remember the day when the, the envelope with the, the result uh, arrived through the, the letterbox and, and landed on, on the doormat. And, um, <coughs> and I knew what it was. Um, my parents knew what it was, and my sister was there; she knew what it was. And so my parents got hold of this, this letter and we went upstairs to their, their bedroom and we sat on, on the, uh, my parents bed and there's this letter which actually has a big part to, <laughs> to say in my future. And, um, and they got it and they said, and they, and they put it across to one side. And they put it across there and then they got out the most the enormous bag of sweets that, that I ever got and experienced. And they said, this is yours. It doesn't matter what that is. And you need to understand that we love you. We're really proud of you. We believe in you. We're going to support you. And it doesn't matter what the results are. We don't love you based on any performance. We just love you. And we want you to have the best and that's unconditional love and I didn't realise that I was so privileged to live in such an environment that my parents would not love me based on any performance or any results but they would just simply love me and at the same time as doing that unconditional love they had this dream that they were creating that would enable their children to live beyond where they'd ever lived and uh, so I've um, got my bag of sweets, got the result opened the letter and, and I had passed so I, I was then able to access, you know, the school that I wanted to go to. Um, another part an important part of my life when i was growing up was sport i love sport and i learned to love the olympic games from the age of about 6 first time i can remember it so i was born in 1958 so i don't remember the 1960 olympics but i do remember the 1964 olympics so i can tell you quite a bit about it even to this day which is seems a bit strange but and i can certainly tell you plenty about the 1960 uh, uh, 60 Uh, eight Olympics in Mexico, 1972, I can can tell you all sorts of stuff about it. And if you ask Kim, she says it's ridiculous how much I know about the Olympic Games. Um, Because it was my fascination, (laughs) but it was also my biggest dream. My biggest dream was to participate in the Olympic Games. In a sport, and I didn't care which sport. Doesn't matter. I just wanted to be there and I wanted to be involved and uh, ultimately I would have liked to have won a gold medal you know, that, but, but, but you know, participating would have been, 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 been cool I, that, that, and, I, and I played so many different sports and my mum used to facilitate that and I was saying this morning... Um, that she used to enable me and she'd support me in my my sporting endeavours and would come and support me and this, that, and other. was very proud when I'd win this cup or that cup and stuff like that. Not quite so proud um, or so happy when I got lots of injuries, which I did. um, And uh, particularly playing rugby, I I used to pick up loads of injuries. And actually, I was so well known that the... the, uh, casualty department at the, at the hospital that, that they'd see me coming and get my file out because they knew my name. So it was literally... That, 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 that. So I'd have injuries galore. And, and um, one time ended up with a broken elbow, which was not so good, really, and I had to have it pinned back together. Now, my mum wasn't over-chuffed about this. She didn't particularly enjoy me getting all these injuries, as a mum wouldn't. Um, and yet... <laughs> yeah. And that was one season. So that was the end of my season playing rugby, um, and so, but as soon as the next season started, I went back to training and, and, uh, first training session I did in rugby. And my mum would always come and pick me up from school at the end, you know, because, you know, I was staying on after school session. And, and, and I, and I got this injury to my nose and I thought I'd broken my nose. And I was pouring blood all, around, all down my rugby shirt and everything. There was a pile of blood on the, on the, well the grass and I thought oh man this is not good news mum's gonna not be pleased about this (laughs) and she took me off to the casualty and true she wasn't that pleased about actually her son being injured once again but you never know what she never stopped me and would play uh we we had a table tennis table that my my dad uh, built for me when I was nine I still got it to this day at my home. And I used to play uh, table tennis with, with my dad. He was quite a good player, and my mum and that sort of stuff. And despite all those ups and downs, they would always encourage me and support me. And then I got to the place where, um, thinking about what, you know, what, what was the future, what career did I want, and I decided I wanted to become a doctor. And uh, I think they were quite excited about this. My sister, sister was actually um, she did a history degree. She's four years older than me, so she went to university and did history. Uh, but I decided I wanted to become a doctor, and um, and so uh, started to pursue that in terms of my academic uh, choices. Um, and shortly after, I decided I wanted to become a doctor. One out of sixteen. I became a Christian. And um, so I was excited about becoming a doctor. Then I, then, I, then I thought, I became a Christian. I was, I was even more excited. because thought, wow, you could put Christianity and medicine together. That's a cool deal, isn't it? Because you've got medicine and healing. So that was a dream that I had 40 years ago. Okay, When I was 16, that, that, that dream was birthed in me. I thought, this is cool. Because I, I, I just wanted to be a med- do medicine. Cause I, 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 see, I got used to being in the hospital environment. I quite liked it. See, so I was you know, I was used to it. And, and I thought, oh, yeah, it's quite cool. This I like. I like seeing what they do here. So, oh, yeah, that's what I'll do with my life. Um, and um, I wasn't quite aware of, of the of, of the hard work that was involved. with it. I just thought oh, it seemed quite glamorous to be a doctor. So, but um, and uh, it's not. I'll tell you, it's not very glamorous being a doctor. But um, but that was my that was my dream. Um, and uh, so by then. Um, Decided that uh, where I wanted to go, and I wanted to go to Bristol. Bristol University was my my dream choice. (coughs) Um, I don't know why, but I just really wanted to go to Bristol University. And um, I won't go into all the details, but I ended up, um, I got my A-level results, and then I I applied to Bristol University. And I got a notice that I needed to go for an interview there, and I only had two days' notice to try and arrange getting there for this interview, which was a bit tricky. And, um, and my dad said, look, I'll, don't worry about it, I'll take a day off work and I'll take you there, and um, he knew this was, this was my dream, and so he decided that he was going to make sure that I got to this interview, so he drove me down to Bristol, we left at some early hour in the morning, I can't remember what it was, got there, and I had this interview at Bristol University, and... A really unusual occurrence they actually offered me the place at at the medical school during the interview which was kind of unheard of and I I still don't know why they did that to this day because they didn't so they they just decided they'd offer me this place and uh, so I was very happy about that (coughs) and so we headed back to Kent knowing that that I had a place not and it wasn't dependent I already had my exam results so that I was going to become a doctor this dream was coming into reality on the way home, we were, we were you know, driving along and, and uh, we stopped at uh, one of the motorway st- service stations on the M4, and I can't remember which one, um, it doesn't matter, And uh, just to have something to eat, eat and drink. And there my dad shared with me something that, that I had not known until that moment in time. And he just shared, shared with me how excited and delighted I, he was that I was able to start to fulfil this dream of becoming a doctor because he had always wanted to be a doctor. But he never had the opportunity. The education was not his, and he had to leave school at 17. He was never able to pursue that. He became an electrical engineer. He's he's a a very bright man, Um, but he did not have the opportunity. But what I was interested in, what, what touched me the most, is I never knew that until my dream was becoming a reality because my parents refused to lay their dreams over mine. They, they, they decided they would create a dream environment where my dreams could flourish. They weren't going to live their dreams through me. So they wanted me to be free to make my own choices. And I believe that's a loving, unconditional environment. <coughs> the The reality of of, of that is, <coughs> I, I was given an extraordinary foundation for life in which I could aim for whatever I, I chose to do, and I had I had fantastic parents. Now, I, many of you might have had similar experiences. I know not everybody has. I understand that. You know. But what I want to tell you this is, is that that I have a heavenly father is even better than my parents. And so do you. Because each one of us is a heavenly father who provides us with unconditional love and wants to provide you with an environment where your dreams can flourish. Because he doesn't give us dreams to frustrate us. He says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. He's interested in the desires of your heart, and if you, when you draw close to him, he, he, and he wants to hear, he's not frightened of your dreams. He really isn't frightened of your dreams in, in any way. <clears throat> Here's another story. How many of you uh, got an iPhone, an iPod, iPad, something of that? Cool. You like them? Yeah. yeah? Useful. Do you think? Those sort of devices have in some way changed the world in which we live? I think so. Well, <laughs> any of you, any idea of the guy who designed? Anybody know his name? No. I'll tell you what his name is. His name is John Ive. He's now Sir John Ive. You got it? Did you get it right? <laughs> she was here this morning, so she heard, yeah, that's it. There they go. Okay, so you've got it this morning. So. That's not cheating. That's just smart. <laughs> he's a Brit and he was brought up in Chingford and his father was a silversmith who lectured at Middlesex Polytechnic it was known in those days now Middlesex University and um, this is what John Ives says, says of his father he says he's a fantastic craftsman <clears throat> so he was a, a, a silversmith he was a, f- a fantastic craftsman and his Christmas present gift to his son, to John Ives was Each year would be this, would be one day of his time in his college workshop during the Christmas break when no one else was there. And this is what he said, and, and his father would help him make whatever he dreamed up. His father would help him make whatever he dreamed up. Isn't that amazing? I don't think we'd have the iPod or the iPad in the form that is it is without that dad. Does that make sense to you? Because he enabled his son to dream and believe those dreams could come into reality. That man, Sir John Ive, is now actually, he's a, he's a, a senior, whatever he's vice president of design for Apple. So he's a pretty big deal but his dad would take time with him to enable anything he dreamed up to become a reality. Huh. That's a good dad. Now, so have you got a good dad? Come on, let's go for that again. Have you got a good dad? Okay, does he like you imagining things? He really does. Because the Bible tells me he wants to give you more than you ever ask or imagine. So if you never imagine, he'll still, he can still do it. But you understand you're missing out on something. I see Susie at the back there. Kids don't have any problem imagining, do they, Susie? And we're meant to be childlike. How big's your imagination? What dreams have you got? I want to encourage you to to release your imagination. Don't be frightened of it. You know, there's there's a phrase that that, that is that, that I think is 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 unhelpful, if not worse than that, which which says, "Oh, it's only your imagination." You ever heard that phrase? "It's only your imagination." No, no, it's your imagination. Who gave you your imagination? God did. The devil did not give you your imagination. It's not his playground. It's God's playground. Yeah? It's, it's, God gave you your imagination. He gave you your ability to dream. You, 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 you read how many times dreams happen in, in, in the Bible, actually. You know, an angel met Joseph in a dream. How's that? It's phenomenal, isn't it? And I heard of the testimony of somebody I've just heard this week who actually... Um, uh, in her dreams was able to actually release herself from spiritual strongholds that were afflicting her to release her into her destiny. She took hold of her dream life. That was the night life. The, the, so there's, there's something about night dreams, but there's also about your imagination, okay? And if you're not sure you have a dream, then just ask God to give you dreams tonight. Fire your imagination. <clears throat> How about dreaming with our local area. Wow. There's some amazing things happening around here. Did you know that? How about Paramount Studios coming to our doorstep? It's quite interesting. Kim and I have been talking about this because, actually, we, we pray for the, the the prosperity of this area. And um, Kim was saying one, one time... A little while back, she was, she was a little frustrated because she didn't think she was making any difference. That our prayers weren't, you know, And then you can look at just down there. And then God said, um, Paramount Studios, it's quite a big thing. <laughs> Third largest theme park in the world, coming just about two miles over there, providing 17,000 new jobs on site and probably 10,000 in the local. That's a reasonable degree of prosperity being brought to the area. That. Third largest theme park in the world. How about that station just over there? You can get on the train there into London in 17 minutes. Morica's just used it, where is, well, Morica where he just said, used it to go back to France. Now, hit Paris in two hours. Brussels in less. You know, the infrastructure we have around here is absolutely phenomenal. This is, this is the biggest area of development in Northern Europe. You can dream into that. <clears throat> We can bless the dreams of of, of the local government, but also national government. Do you know you're actually sitting in Ebb Street Garden City at this moment? That's amazing. God told me, he placed me at the East Gate to the city ten years ago, and I'm now actually in it. They've decided they're going to build a new city around us. It's true. We were here before they decided it was going to be a city. It was announced in March last year. I thought, man, I thought it was just London. No, no, they're building a city around us. I don't know how many times I've prayed about God placing us at the east gate to the city. I said, God, you will be true to your promise, and I would not let go of that dream. It didn't matter what was thrown at us, through recession and this, that, and the other. I knew God would place us here, and I knew he'd give us this building. I did not realize... He was going to build a city around it. Why? Because he goes more than you'd ask or imagine. Didn't realize that we were going to get the third largest theme park in the world. A couple of miles away. I thought I'd apply for the chaplaincy. I think it'd be a good idea. You know. (laughs) What other dreams? Well, education, free school. Can we tell you more about that next Wouldn't it be lovely to affect education? <clears throat> How about our healing center? Now an option. Hopefully soon to be an option for the National Health Service. Do you know when I first dreamed of that? When I was 16. <coughs> 40 years that one's been coming to fruition. I've held on to that dream for 40 years. Never let it go, despite people telling me I should. I've had had to face all sorts of uh, opposition with regard to that dream, but I I said, no, this is something I believe in. It's a dream. How about, how about when the Olympics came to London? That was amazing, wasn't it? Do you know, that there was a dream that, that happened of, of, of the Olympics coming to London. I remember when we, the day that it was announced that London had got the Olympics. I thought, yes, yeah, I'm going to get some tickets for that because I might not be able to participate, but I'm going to go and spectate. So I decided we would get tickets for the Olympic Games. And uh, so there were five adults, so we all applied for tickets. So there was me, Kim, David, Kerry and Joe. And... Um, and effectively, we all got tickets and, and we got to go to lots of events at the Olympic Games. I was really happy about it. But there was one, one session that I really wanted to go to. And I told Kim, 18 months or so in advance, when I saw the schedule, when the schedule for the Olympic Games came out, I was scouring it. I was thinking, Because I wanted to be, this was my dream, I wanted to be in the Athletics Olympic Stadium when Great Britain won a gold medal. And I wanted to be there for the national anthem being played and the flag going up. Well, yes, that's what I'm going to have. <clears throat> and I said to Kim, our best chance is that Saturday evening on the 4th of August 2012 when Jessica Ennis and Mo Farah will be going for gold. I thought, this is my cap. I thought, they've got a good chance. And I, I, I didn't realise that we had Greg Rutherford as well at that stage. So, so Kim and I wanted to go, and I thought, that's the one I want to go to. So we both applied for tickets, and this is... We, we doubled up, um, so I applied for tickets for that one, and Kim applied for tickets for it, and uh, we didn't get them. Oh, I was a bit disappointed about that. So, well, I was more than a bit disappointed. I was very disappointed. But having got six other events, I thought this is—you know—how greedy can you be? <laughs> <coughs> I thought I can be, be greedy, so I, so, so I was really, I was really just oh, I want, oh, I want that one because I didn't, ha- I wasn't going to be in the the athletic stadium for any. Middle middle events. I got tickets for um, preliminary stages, but oh, God, I really do want this because, and you know, I've always wanted to you know to participate. This is my dream. I've had it since I was six, effectively, to participate in the Olympic Games, and um, and this seems about the next best thing. Um, <coughs> and um, so so I started to scour you know and look for the tickets because you know and because they 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 were releasing more tickets from time to time and. You had to get in, and they would go absolutely like hotcakes, wouldn't they? And and so one day I was on the internet, and this was Kim, and I, and I said, her, I found some tickets, but they're really expensive. <laughs> and she said, Go for it. This has always been your dream. So I went for it, and they'd already gone. So I thought, I'll have a look at the next price up, which I did. And I said, whoa, these are really expensive tickets. <laughs> and I said to Kim, I found some tickets. These are really expensive <laughs> tickets. And Kim said, go for it. This has always been your dream. And we got two tickets. And we were in the Olympic Stadium for the golden hour when we won three gold medals. In an hour. And we were there when Mo Farah was running around the lap, running around the track 25 times, cheering him on, on and on. And this is something that Mo Farah said, and and, actually, he said in advance that he reckoned that the cheers of the home crowd would gain him about .2 of a second in the race. Something like that. And we cheered him, cheered him, cheered him. And you know what? He went down the final straight and he won the gold medal. And he won it by less than point two of a second. Which meant, you know what? I just participated in Olympic Games. I just took part in winning a gold medal. And this is what it said in the Daily Telegraph the next day had predicted before the games that the home fans could make the difference between victory and defeat, but even he was taken aback by the high decibel roar that went up as he wound up the pace with just over a lap remaining. If it wasn't for the crowd, it wouldn't have happened, he said. They give you that lift, that boost, and it was just incredible. That was almost 50 years in that dream coming into reality, and I tell you, God is faithful. He is faithful. One last story, and we're going to take communion together. Oh, here's the thing. A quote. I like this quote. I found this the other day. <coughs> Thomas Edison. Remember Thomas Edison? Probably don't remember him personally, but Thomas Edison was a guy who drew, dreamed of a light source coming from electricity. Basically, he invented the electric light bulb. How many of us benefit from electric light bulbs? Do you think that changed the world? Yeah. It it, it changes the whole world. No matter where you go, if if there's electricity, they can get light. And this was a quote from Thomas Edison. He said, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that will not work. (laughs) I like that. (gasps) So he had a dream that he wouldn't refuse even when the ways that he tried didn't work. And this is the other thing of a dream. Actually, pursuing a dream is costly. And what will you sacrifice for the sake of a dream? What will you sacrifice for the sake of a common dream as well as your individual? What will you put into it? Because these sort of dreams don't come about just by sitting down and waiting for it to happen. There's a pursuit. I didn't get those tickets just because I thought they'd fall into my lap. I pursued them because I wanted something. Thomas Edison pursued something. And do you remember, Colonel Colonel Joe Kittinger, <coughs> who helped put a man on the moon, 1960. In um, two years ago, in 2012, there was a guy called Felix Baumgartner. Anybody know what he did? What did he do? He threw himself out of out of a gas-filled balloon from 120,000 feet above the Earth's surface. Colonel Joe's record had stood until that moment in time. Do you know who mentored Felix Baumgartner for that jump? Colonel Joe. He spent two years with him. Because you know what? He wanted somebody to go higher than he got. He didn't hold on to his record. He said, this is meant to be broken because you're meant to go higher. And that's the sort of environment I'm talking about that the common dream will produce is this desire to see other people go higher and further than you. And that's what Jesus said when he said, anyone who has faith in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works. You know what Jesus will mentor you to go to a higher height than even he went in terms of works on this earth. He, he, he will always be Lord of Lords the name above all names okay but, but this is this is the power of the environment that he wants to create the the, the environment of heaven that will enable you to aspire to these amazing things